And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Football Scoop Podcast. Scott Roussel, extremely excited to be joined once again by my colleagues, football college football experts, John Bryce, Zach Barnett. Once again, excited not to have Doug Samuels with us. Means Doug Samuels remains undefeated as a high school head football coach this season. Kids doing pretty well. Cheering for him again this week. Gentlemen, week one ended last night. Clemson, uh, Georgia Tech. Clemson put it together at the end. Clemson's defense looked pretty good. Uh, I thought that uh, uh, Kate Klubnick looked exceptionally smooth at the end there. Uh, why don't we start there, and then I want to come back to the LSU game, uh, LSU floor State after that. Clemson, Georgia Tech, give me uh, off-the-cuff thoughts. Uh, I mean, I think I, I I was surprised to come out at, at Clemson's offense looked – like Clemson's offense from last season. I, I, their, their yardage by quarter, they gained, what, like 30-something yards in the first quarter, and it's like you've had nine months to change, evolve, grow, and that's what you've come out with. And then uh, the the Cade Klubnick thing, like the, it's not going to go away. Like it, it seems like Davo is going to have to give him some real snaps uh, when it's not garbage time in the fourth quarter and see if he can – you can go out there and win the job. I mean, it, it, it the the vibes are so reminiscent of Trevor Lawrence and uh, Kelly Bryant back in 2018 when when Clemson won the title. Uh, and that's uh, unfair to put on a true freshman that he uh, has uh, Trevor Lawrence vibes. But I mean, I think Cade Klubnick. I mean, I think he needs to go out there and play real snaps and and because I don't think anyone knows if if Clemson's really playing their best quarterback right now. I would say, um, didn't Klubnik come in with the score already 34 to 10 and Georgia yes. Tech's defense had yes. been on the field an extreme amount of time the entire second half? So, yeah, he looked extremely good, but that was not the same Georgia Tech defense we saw in the first quarter or the first right. half of that game. I was really impressed with how the Yellow Jackets were, uh, forgive me, swarming to the football. And I liked what I saw from, from Georgia Tech defensively. Um, Georgia Tech offensively had some opportunities um, to make that game even closer in the first half, if not even ha have a first half lead there midway through the game. And so I think it's premature to already write off DJ Ungulalele, um, especially after he's uh, worked so hard to get in the best shape of his life. And uh, again, that was not a cupcake city that Clemson opened with. Yes, it's a Georgia Tech team that has struggled mightily under Jeff Collins, and Jeff Collins is facing a make-or-break season uh, in Atlanta with arguably the toughest schedule in all of college football. But again, this was um, – it's too quick, in my opinion, to start talking about how Cade Klubnick has to get snaps sooner rather than later. That was a Clemson team that was in full command of the game at the point in time he entered that had completely worn down a Georgia Tech defense – um, that for myriad reasons was on the field too long. And I still think um, we saw all the comments last night from, from Brandon Streeter, the offensive coordinator, Dabo Sweeney, the head coach. All of those guys talked about it being DJ's team. I think, I, think uh, I agree with a lot of what you said there, John. And I think I'm glad you said that because I think the, the conversation right now about the two quarterbacks is kind of unfair to both guys because, yeah. as you said, Cade went out there against a tired, beaten down Georgia Tech defense that knew they weren't going to win the game. And so uh, uh, maybe in, in all reality, Cade's probably 
not that good and would not have succeeded like he did if he had played the first quarter Georgia Tech defense, whereas DJ, you know, had staked and the defense obviously had staked Clemson to that lead. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you said. I'm not trying to uh, – I, I, I certainly don't want to create the point that I'm trying to create a quarterback controversy, but I think I think right now if I'm a – the average Clemson fan is probably pretty frustrated with where their quarterback situation is because they're like, how good is this kid? Like, if he's really that as good as what we've seen, he needs to be on the field. If he's not, then maybe let us see that too so we can, re- we can all rally behind DJ. Uh, I think that's where it is right now. And, you know, it's so it was reminding me that the ultimate football truism is that no player in the program is ever going to be more popular than the backup quarterback, especially if that backup quarterback's a freshman. That's why I like going after you on this podcast, Zach, because I'm the backup quarterback, baby. (laughs) But um, I would say that if I'm a Clemson fan, what I take from Monday night is feeling really good that I did see some improvement from DJ. And I also feel like we probably have an extremely high quality, potentially elite backup that if we need to go to him at some point this season, bam, we go to him and we've already seen him do some nice things against an ACC rival, against another Power 5 team. Um, But I didn't think it was DJ's fault that Clemson's offensive line at times got whipped last night. Um, DJ was trying to, to fight and make a greater play when he fumbled the football. Otherwise, I thought he took care of the football really well. I'll tell you, the maybe the most overarching thing I took from that game was that it was um, absolutely ridiculous that it was not at Bobby Dodd Stadium and Grand Hill because all you could see were empty upper deck seats whereas um, and no view of the Atlanta skyline, whereas Bobby Dodd Field uh, – or Bobby Dodd Stadium, Grant Field, is awesome in the middle of Atlanta. I've been to a number of games there, um, and especially on a Labor Day night this time of the year, you want to accentuate that. So any potential home field advantage that Georgia Tech would have had um, was gone by playing that game in the Dome. And it was just ugly to see that many empty seats. Do away with that crap. So, you know, I find it extremely fun to follow uh, Cole Kublik during big games because I love his commentary on the offensive line play. And he rightfully points out a lot of, you know, like he's like 71 was mashing some dudes last night. Uh, But I feel like we're seeing an overarching theme in college football where offensive lines are not dominating. You're not seeing teams average five yards per carry. You're not seeing a lot of number one ball carriers averaging five yards per carry. Uh, neither team ran the, the ball particularly well in, in either of the two games we're here to discuss. You know, we're talking about LSU, uh, Florida State next, but Clemson, Georgia Tech, nobody ran the ball particularly well that I saw. Other than the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks did, uh, Sims did, but the running backs aren't running the ball well. I, I would know. like, to, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Scott. And I would even go um, to Saturday night's game that I was at Ohio State, Notre Dame, where both of those offensive lines, you could look at each one. They've got four projected minimum, four projected first round draft picks between the two of them. When you look at Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson at Ohio State, and Paris Johnson might be a top five pick this year. And then when you look at Blake Fisher and Joe Alt, who might be top 10 first round picks combined in 2024's draft. So 
I wonder, and I would be curious, maybe we can get coaches on here as we continue to evolve the podcast over this course of over the course of this season to find out how much of it is because training camps have changed so much, because teams are protecting against concussions even more than ever, rightfully so, because teams are limiting contact um, to prevent against injuries of all sorts more than ever before. I wonder how much of that is a factor. I have to believe that's a factor. The um, the, the safer helmets, the, the bubble wraps that more and more teams and players are wearing at all levels, I think probably has something to do with that. Also, it's week one. Let's see if we don't have any dominant offensive lines at the end of September. Yeah, I agree. How about uh, the timeout situation last night with Georgia Tech? It, it didn't make a whole lot of uh, – they, they called it out on the broadcast in real time, and it just it, it seemed like Jeff Collins was waving the white flag. Like if if they get the punt off and you fair catch it, take a knee, go into the half, no harm, no foul. But, you know, the, Dave Pash was on it immediately that if the snap goes over, this punter's head goes off the side of his foot, who knows what happens. You, you're potentially costing yourself points by running off all that time. Like I – Kudos to the broadcast, and I think we were what's what everyone, what all of us were thinking at, at real time. Uh, that weird decision by Jeff Collins. But even in the second half, I mean, you burned the ball early. You're like, what are you doing? I know it's week one. Players are finding their footing. Well, coaches. Yeah, let's let's. Well, I'm just glad I can pronounce Clemson. But let's just also address the fact that. Georgia Tech has a number of new coaches on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I think um, game administration is a huge thing. Once again, another element that's probably um, more able to be simulated in preseason than some other components, but Georgia Tech's not working in the preseason in its own stadium, or it is working in its own stadium, not debuting in its own stadium for its home game. So, um, yeah, unfortunate. Some things that you wouldn't expect to be issues um, going into a fourth year of a program. But then when you look below the surface and see how many new coaches are on that staff, I think that's a little bit to um, explain why the timeout issues in both halves were what they were. All right, let me jump into LSU Florida State. Um, not a particularly clean game. Got exciting at the end. I thought Brian Kelly's comments uh, at halftime, <laughs> he just said that. You know, he came out and said, I don't think we could have played a worse game, uh, a worse first half. Um, I, it was the errors, the unforced errors were disappointing. LSU's offensive line was disappointing. Other than the quarterback, they had no run game. Um, I, I don't know. It was just disappointing. Florida State, it was fun to see the, their joy in their win. Uh, I don't know. It was a big excitement, for a big, uh, a lot of celebration for that game. Anyway, thoughts? Yeah, obviously, a huge moment for for Mike Norvell. I was very happy to see them. I mean, that was definitely a, a good moment to see him jump around looking for somebody to celebrate after they blocked that extra point. Uh, Scott, I'm I'm curious to get your take. What is the what is the atmosphere around LSU football like? Because nationally. Nationally, people are rooting for Brian Kelly to fail at LSU. I, not a lot of people are rooting for him to fail. And, you know, I was uh, preparing for this thinking, like, I think people root for Nick Saban to fail at Alabama. That didn't happen. People rooting for Urban Meyer to fail at Ohio State. That didn't happen. 
I think a lot of people rooted for Jim Harbaugh to fail at Michigan. That didn't happen. But uh, people rooted for Tom Herman to fail at Texas. Like it, 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 Unless you're a great coach, and Brian Kelly's certainly a very, very accomplished coach, it, it can be tough to overcome, you know, the, the overall vibes. Like a lot of times we've seen, you know, uh, uh, coaches and programs not overcome, you know, bad starts. And a lot of the stuff, you know, from the, 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 the family thing, it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. And then he, you know, a lot of his decisions, his comments, you know, uh, fan the flames. Uh, there, there was a lot of content to, to put it out that way, produce Sunday night. But the, the local vibe – uh, everybody, I mean, it's 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 pretty consistent. Everything I hear is uh, there's a lot of Ogeron blaming. There's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that he needs to get out of the program. Um, there's a lot of belief that Brian will succeed, and it's not going to take a real long time. It's going to take a season, you know, a second season. It's going to gel. Uh, there's a lot of belief that once Brian has his players in there, everything's going to be okay. Remains to be seen. There's a lot of belief that that. A lot of the issues uh, are with um, culture. Culture, yes. Culture, buy-in, um, different sides within the locker room. Uh, a lot of that needs to be worked through. And there's going to be some more turnover in terms of players. But once Brian has everybody on his boat, um, everything's going to be okay. That's the belief. And that will hold up as long as they don't continue to lose. <laughs> Yeah, they need to pull it together. And there's a lot of confidence that everything that happened dropped punts, you know, uh, not blocking them properly for a field goal and extra point. Things like that can be fixed very, very, very easily. It's, it's game one, you know, game one, a punt returner, you know, it's live. Practice, it's not live. So, you know, you find your guys got sure hands and you say, all right, we're going to go more sure hands. We're not going to go for explosiveness. A lot of that can be fixed. Um, you know, we'll see. I would say that um, it took Brian Kelly quite a while to establish his culture at Notre Dame. I would say also he's evolved to where he's very much a CEO type of coach and puts a lot on his assistant coaches. And thirdly, I would say we're not having a lot of this discussion if they weren't abysmal on special teams Monday night or Sunday night. And so I think we would be talking about how LSU didn't play its best but found a way to win. So let's – to me – I want to give a ton of credit to Florida State um, because that's a team that has had so many games like that, not to the level of Nebraska, but a team that has had a lot of heartbreak moments under Mike Norvell. And this can be a pivot point forward to have won a game like this and to be positioned for a great start that that program has not had, I think I saw since like 2016. And so um, it's early for LSU. I do think there's culture um, that, that still has to be enacted or emplaced in that football program. And I think that I will point out last week that Brian Kelly said the thing he was most pleased with going into the season had been the buy-in. And so if he's most pleased with the buy-in and then talks about how lousy they were, where is that? Where is that all on coaches? Is that all on players? We both, we all know it's a combination of things. Um, but I'm curious to see how that evolves because they've not had necessarily those type of candid comments um, said about them by Ed Orgeron in recent years. And plus Ed Orgeron was uh, one of them. He was Louisiana through and through, and he had a little more equity to make those comments. I'll tell you the, um, you know, I was kind of, Given Jeff Collins, I'm not trying to give him a hard time, but saying, 
week one might not have been his best job coaching, you know, working the timeouts, et cetera, in the second half, uh, and even the one in the first half. Um, Brian Kelly, in my opinion, made a tactical error. Who am I? I'm just a guy. I'm giving you my opinion. Made a tactical error there going, uh, kicking the extra point rather than going for two. His offense had actually just run the field twice. They were playing their best they had all game. Uh, they had all the momentum. Let's go win. Let's not put in, you know, the risk of special teams, which hasn't been good all game. Now, yeah, that's just, that's just I me second guessing. I, I saw that. I, I saw that contended um, online and then some other uh, spots. My, my thing is, you're right. The offense had just gone 99 yards. You have to feel like you have Florida State fatigued completely. You kick the extra point. You go to overtime. You feel like you've got Florida State worn out. Your defense is rested from all that time off the field. Your offense is jazzed up. Um, and you feel like probably you're the better team. I think if you don't think you're the better team, you go for two right there because you feel fortunate to be in that situation. If you feel like you're the better team, you go kick the field goal and you feel like you've got new life to go and win this game because, or kick the extra point because you feel like you've got new life to go and win this game because you are the better team. Wouldn't be fair to leave Saturday discussion without talking about the, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday discussion without leaving the other game. That was Sunday. Deion Sanders, Jackson state just (laughs) rolled FAMU. I mean, Florida A&M, it was like, they weren't even on the field. Uh, uh, number two, as he likes to refer to himself, had a day. A big two, day. two, as in Shadur Sanders. Um, John Bryce is not going to mimic him and speak in the third person. But two, as in Shadur Sanders, opened that game 17 for 17, I believe, finished like 29 for 32. Um, as you guys know, I love um, covering FCS, love covering uh, the SWAC and a lot of the HBCU. So I was dialed in to the SWAC. Uh, Zoom teleconference, video conference Monday afternoon. And I love this comment from Dion, and he has a lot that I love. But he said, hey, everybody talked about all their new players, all their new coaches, all they got new. Well, guess what? We got a bunch of new players. We got a bunch of new coaches. And our guys showed up and showed out. And he said he feels like they're legitimately better at every single spot on the field. And that was an 11-win team a year ago. Here's what I want to know. If if Jackson State is this dominant over the course of the season and they're supposed to play in that celebration bowl, but they're 12-0 and and could be a number one seed in the playoffs, what happens at that point in time? I think that's they're supposed to be contractually obligated to play in that celebration bowl. That's the national championship. They played South Carolina State in that contest a year ago. South Carolina State rolled them. Uh, Jonathan Saxon's defense was brilliant. But if, but if Jackson State – is 11-0 and or 12-0 and at the end of this year and could be a team that gets a bye in the playoffs and hosts in the playoffs, what would they do? That, to me, is the the ultimate move for Deion Sanders. He was the one a year ago pushing for the SWAC to get teams into the playoffs in addition to the Celebration Bowl, which they did because that very FAMU team went to the playoffs last year. Yeah, so John, I'm curious, as the, the FCS expert here, like if you had your own – John Bryce's FCS top 10, top 15. Where would where do you think Jackson State is in in terms of the very best of the best of the FCS? Um, I would put them in the top eight for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. right now. I would have yes. them, I would unequivocally have them top eight. Um and let's let's look at one thing we saw Saturday night late, also in Mississippi, down in Lorne. The Alcorn State Braves had number 10 Stephen F. Austin 
on the ropes. Led that game 24 to 10 at halftime. And like LSU, had special teams breakdowns that really cost the Braves in what I believe ended up a 30 to 27 loss or 27 24 loss. It was a one possession game. And having visited with those guys this week, I know they felt like they should have won that game. So that's your number 10 team playing at a SWAC rival of Jackson State. Jackson State just went to a neutral site and hung 59 points on a FAMU team that had even fewer players a week before and scored 24 points on North Carolina, although the Gene Chiswick defense is the Swiss cheese defense right now. Jeez, (laughs) he went there. (laughs) Great stuff, gentlemen. I didn't go there. App State went there and back and again and back and again. App State went there, not me. Six times in the fourth quarter. Yeah. All right. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you guys for your time. Football Scoop Podcast. Later this week, we're going to look ahead to week two. Great stuff happening week two. It's about 10 awesome games. Not the incredible slate from week one, but it's still going to be dazzling. We're going to look really good. It's a good slate. All right, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your wife, tell your girlfriend, tell everybody you know. Football Scoop Podcast. Football Scoop.com. Love you guys. Peace.